When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. Betches Media presents. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. You want to hang out with us? Get your vaccine. And so I went to Human Resources. There are some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. The Betches Sup Podcast. A woman's problem, if you will. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. And I'm Millie Tamaras. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. That U.S. news and politics, it does a lot of work for us in this intro. If there's a reason it says U.S. news and politics, it is it is a cop-out. But um, today, we just can't. So pack up, pack your passports, because we are going to Eastern Europe today. Yeah. <laughs> can't wait. Can't wait for a little vacay. Have either of you ever been to Eastern Europe? I was thinking about this this morning. No, but I would go. I've only been to Paris. I've, yeah, I think I've only been to Western Europe. I've been to the to Prague, which there are parts of it, yeah, which is not Eastern Europe. I don't think it's second. It, it, I don't think it's like technically Eastern Europe. I don't know if that's a correct way to refer to it, but like there there are just parts of the city where you're like, oh wow, there's the that energy to it. It's fascinating. I guess that's whether it counts or not. Prague is the closest I've gotten as well. <laughs> yeah, hopefully closest Europe, we will get, lovely. unless we get uh, drafted in this here conflict. <laughs> are no, we not too no. old we are that's the best part of this because that's like what that's what always comes up when you're talking about feminism like there are always those those bros that are like well do you want to be drafted and now i'm, I'm like well i'm too old sure send the girlies send the gen z tiktokers <laughs> they'll figure it out i believe in them i if and if you should yeah. send anybody draft those girlies i think they got it yeah no Honestly. i want a 90 pound soldier <laughs> <laughs> Well, his name was, uh, I was going to make a Captain American, uh, Steve Rogers. His mm. name was Steve Rogers because Captain America <laughs> was famously very small before he took the oh, right. the, before. the medicine. And yeah, I love that storyline. Before they Captain America'd him. What if they made Super Soldier Gen Z? That, that would be so scary <laughs> if they made all the Gen Z TikTok girlies actually Super Soldiers. I think nope. I don't think we there'd were be ready no for that. thrift store left untouched. <laughs> no, there would be no thrift store left untouched, and honestly, no cold case left unsolved. Every cold case would be solved. <laughs> like every single cold case would every be solved. Si- the true crime podcast industry would completely evaporate up in arms. We'd get yeah. all their ads because the crimes would be solved. <laughs> <laughs> the crimes would be solved. We'd have to wait for there to be new crimes. <laughs> so we are obviously going to talk about the Ukraine-Russia conflict. It's on everybody's mind today, but uh, it's a long flight to Eastern Europe. So we're going to take a layover in the UK. 
Buckingham Palace announced last week that 95-year-old Queen Elizabeth has tested positive for COVID-19. This comes shortly after her son, Prince Charles, tested positive and had spent time with his mother. The palace originally said she was experiencing light symptoms and would continue her duties, but today they canceled her virtual engagements, saying she still had symptoms. <laughs> Millie, why did you laugh when I said spending time with his mother? <laughs> well, I laughed at... I'm just... Again, I just want to, you know, name and and bring attention to your seamless segues. The layover in UK was incredible. That was a really good one. That was, that a, was a really good, good one. one. Well, that um, one was scripted. The, you know, yeah. Well, listen, script or not, amazing. And uh, Prince Charles is an idiot. <laughs> I just like how, like... There are a lot of grown men who spend a lot of time with their moms, but it's just like with Prince Charles, I think it's kind of funny. It's like you don't even have to question like, of course he was with mother. Of course. Of course. Yeah, of of course. course she was exposed. It's She's his best friend. Well, and of course Prince Charles is the one who maybe exposes the queen to like that. It's very um, it's it's very on brand in the arc of Charles. For him to get COVID, expose the queen to COVID, give a bunch of people at Windsor Palace COVID. Like, listen, like, he wants to be fucking king and he's going to do whatever it takes. That's true. <laughs> he's that's like, true. enough. He's been waiting. Enough. This man has been waiting. He's been waiting. I'm like, I know. this bitch could have, she could have gave it up at 70. She could have gave yeah, it up she at 70. She knows Charles shouldn't be king. She knows. I think she's waiting it out. I mean, here's, I was saying to you guys earlier, I just can't imagine that man's face on the money. That's going to be such a bummer. They don't no, like him. I mean, that's, that's embarrassing to exchange. It's embarrassing to exchange money with Charles' face on it. I'm sorry to all of our British There's listeners. Not one good picture of Prince Charles. And I'm not saying that because he's like, there are people who are not traditionally attractive who still take a good picture, who still yeah. have allure and can be attractive, but there's just something about. No good pictures. Yeah, well, no, no good you pictures. I'll say it. Charles is terminally ugly. Oh, no. Terminally ugly. <laughs> you knew what I was <laughs> doing. <laughs> I was counting. He's very powerful man. I'm allowed to say that he's ugly. He's very powerful. <laughs> You're body shaming people with ugly faces, Elise. One and two, yes. Prince Charles will be incredibly terrible to print on money, unlike the fucking hot foxes we got in George Washington, yeah. fucking Andrew Jackson, whoever the fuck's on the 20. <laughs> Who's on the $5 bill? I haven't seen cash in so long, I forgot. That's um, um, that's Lincoln, baby. Lincoln, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry that Prince Charles isn't as sexy as Abraham $5 bill Lincoln. They do look so <laughs> much better on the bills i feel like the the dollar bills are are the, like the original face tune they give them such a glow up on there but yeah that's look what at, i'm like, saying the actual... gonna, you don't think they're gonna give charles a face tuned ass like chiseled jawline I'm sure they will. and you know whatever's going on with the teeth ain't gonna be shown totally that's really they're funny teeth are bad I'm all around like a really hot Charles on the, on the oh money my and everyone God. just has to be like, yeah, it looks just like you. No, <laughs> oh really my God. well done. They're going to yesify Prince Charles. Yeah, they yesify Charles for the, for the money. They're going to yesify <laughs> Prince Charles. It's like, why does the prince or the king of England have lashes? <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, okay. Oh, brutal, brutal. Well, 
So, I mean, Charles is triple vaccinated, and this is the second time he's had COVID. That sounds like anti-vaccine, but what I actually mean to say, true, exactly. What I mean to say is that, like, you know, it's kind of an incredible testament to where we are in the pandemic that, like, this 95-year-old can get COVID now. We know she's vaccinated, and, like, we're all worried. It seems like she has symptoms, like, definitely has a higher risk. But when our 74-year-old president had COVID before the vaccine, it was like, he could die. It's, like, really, really a toss-up. But this diagnosis comes with, yeah. (laughs) This diagnosis comes with more recent speculation about her health overall, which is sort of her fault because last week when asked during an in-person audience how she was doing, she pointed to her legs and said, as you can see, I can't move. So not instilling a ton of confidence ahead of this COVID diagnosis. She's 95. I also... I also read an article that someone from the palace leaked that she can't move. So, <laughs> there's, which is, I think, a really mean thing to leak about your 95-year-old boss. And also, um, maybe what she was confirming here. Yeah, mm. maybe. Maybe but she was trying to get out of head of it, like take ownership. Take, okay, take I, had to yeah. re-read, I had to reread the thing because, uh, the outline, because you said like, as she pointed to her legs and said, as you can see, I can't move. I'm like, she did that on Zoom? Like, no one's moving on Zoom, bitch. Like, what a, who's looking at Queen Elizabeth's legs? I and think she was like, person. have a, yeah, yeah, exactly. That would be an unusual thing to needlessly point out over Zoom. You would think she had a better PR people than that. But who knows? Charles could be on the money. And it's really not a great time for her to go because apparently there could be like a legit, it's like a very intense process when the monarch passes away and apparently like the pound sometimes is devalued temporarily. And it's just, do we really need this third world, a land war in Europe, a new King? They're going to say, God save the King. Disgusting. Right? Um, <laughs> honestly though, disgusting. Honestly, appalling, though, appalling, Charles, appalling, gross. Uh, Charles said, uh, Charles being triple vaccinated and having COVID twice is honestly one of the most relatable things about him. Uh, besides having uh, two sons that hate each other. Mm-hmm. True. That's, that's accurate. Exactly. I mean, he's basically, maybe he's just been hanging. Maybe he has a very active social life. According to the crown, he, he and Camilla really like to uh, to hang around. But that land war we were talking about. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. 
They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash fever dream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash fever dream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash fever dream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are for dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. We'll touch in on this Ukraine-Russia crisis with whatever expertise we have to add, but obviously it's really escalating, so we need to sort of process it. Yesterday, Vladimir Putin sent troops that he calls peacekeepers into a Russian-backed separatist regions of Ukraine. He blamed Ukraine for necessitating this incursion, and his government and state-run media have made all these false claims over the past few days about car bombs and other things they promised would be pretext for war and are now, you know, magically happening. They're using, like, old pictures of old attacks and posting them, like, oh, no, and they're sort of staging new ones, swapping things out to justify the their actions. Have... I'm curious, have you guys ever used uh, old pictures to provoke to provoke an ex? <laughs> um, I've never done it, but this did remind me of like when Kylie Jenner was trying to not seem pregnant. So she was like kind of posting old photos. Yes. And then people would be like, wait a minute, this picture's from last summer. Like <laughs> they are using kind of an age-old influencer tactic. Which well, maybe is maybe the influencers. I like to think that the influencers got it from Vladimir Putin. Are using Russian and, and maybe Kim Kardashian <laughs> yeah. was like, you know what? I've been researching. I've been reaching yeah, KGB you know tactics and I think what we should try. Yeah, is it a chicken or the egg situation? Either way, it does seem like they are using the tried and true tactic of pulling of trying to pass off a TBT as a as a recent photo. Right. Exactly. And that's my expert analysis of the situation with my international relations degree from the University of Delaware. Well, you know, I'm sure Tucker Carlson has has skeptic like has been skeptical of what a millennial woman run media organization would do news analysis on, and it would be comparing Instagram to. And you know what? Fucking checks out, and it all sounds great. So yeah, and I have the same degree as the president. So okay, and from the same so, school, bitch. Eat that same school. And you know I what? Mean, my only concentration was in Latin America, but okay. Okay, and look, <laughs> you have the same job as Joe Rogan. So I have the same I have the same degree as Joe Biden and the same yes. job as Joe. We did it, Joe. <laughs> we did it, Joe. Right. So, wow, that's my more new truth. Twitter bio. 
Um, oh that's my new bio for everything. Oh my so God. more background here. Putin is uh, has also recognized the independence of those territories in eastern Ukraine, which have been armed and funded by Russia since 2014. So he's sort of like, okay, now we really, we really have no choice to, but to help these guys that we have always been helping and who exist because we have been helping them. Why is Putin doing this? Uh, now that he says those areas are independent, it's a pretext for him to protect the people there. And Putin just wants Ukraine to be part of Russia. And he sees the two populations as one people. United them makes him stronger against the West. And that's what he wants. So he's been super pissed off lately because Ukraine wants to get closer to the West. They want to be part of NATO. He's threatened vaguely that NATO membership would be some sort of red line. So he seems to think that's approaching and is being you know, all threatening about it. What's up next? I mean, I don't fucking know, but Russia's military... <laughs> They so they 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 entered they sent these peacekeepers these troops to the areas that they say are now independent which are in eastern Ukraine but Russia's military may formally enter the territories though it's been secretly aiding and aiding these separatists since 2014 like I said but they have apparently 190 thousand troops like ready to go which is a very large amount that's like an insane amount of people ready to go for a land war. An attack could threaten Kiev where three million people live that's slightly less people than live in L.A. for context, and already more than 14,000 people have died in the fighting that's occurred since 2014. So how this affects us, President Biden signed an executive order yesterday that's imposing sanctions just on those areas. There are a lot, there's a lot more kind of like in the toolbox that he already <laughs> revealed uh, last month, I believe. The idea is that you can hopefully, you know, choke them off from any money whatsoever so that you can prevent them from even being able to fight a war. Germany has finally stopped the certification of this big pipeline that was going to give it super cheap energy to help warm all the Germans' homes. And now it's obviously, I mean, for a long time, people are like, this isn't going to work. Like, Putin's not going to be cool about this. And uh, now it really doesn't look like he's going to be cool about this. So it looks like the steps oh, are Germany out. wanted it so bad. I Germany know. wanted that pipeline so damn bad. There's Sitting in their houses at 65 degrees. Just like, so yeah, I want my dad like, to turn oh. the heat back up. Oh, please let it be warm. <laughs> warm us, please. Yeah, since we're doing, since we're doing a German, I thought since we're doing a, the German-Russia part, I thought about doing the whole part in Anna Delvey's accent. Oh, God. Um. I, I haven't perfected it yet, but I will bring it to the podcast when I get my, Anna, when my working Anna Delvey comes uh, into play. It's not an accent that's existed prior to the Netflix show, so no. I do have to. <laughs> no, but you know what? Ju listen, I'm just thinking. You're an American girl, and you got to speak uh, like English, like a Ger like a Russian who's been in Germany for 15 years. Like mm -hmm. that's also challenging. Very yeah. challenging. So yeah. thoughts on this? Uh, thoughts on this escalating situation? Dr. Elise Morales, bachelor's degree. <laughs> well, dusting off my degree. Um, I mean, it's really hard to say. I don't think I'm the only person who's been having like flashbacks to learning about the starts of other world mm -hmm. wars. And my my little teacher, who I remember telling us she was 23 at the time when I was in 10th grade, teaching us about the entangling alliances that led to the start of World War One. I've just been thinking a lot about that. I was listening to Ben Rhodes talk about this um, on Pod Save America, and he was saying how a lot of this comes out of sort of Putin and Putin's government's feeling that they were humiliated out after the Cold War and wanting to reclaim um, some glory back for Russia, some feelings that the NATO alliance coming close to them at all was 
America's way of like rubbing their face face in the end of the Cold War, which also has, if people have studied after World War One and prior to World War Two, there are a lot of similarities in those sentiments. So as a history nerd, that's what I've been thinking about a lot. And obviously comparisons are never going to be one to one, but it is uh, it is certainly interesting to see how much is repeating itself here. Yeah. But I'm always sort of like heartened by how many times, at least it's a precedented time, you know? That's nice. It's precedented. Oh, True. Jesus. 100% precedented. So we're better. we're getting out of a, a three-year pandemic and going into a fucking war. That's like... If there's uh, anything oh God, we needed. At least we know how, how a war yeah, works. There's, God. If there's anything we needed. Um, this sucks. I mean, hopefully, I'm just like, <laughs> fuck. Maybe we should have let that Russian skater get an Olympic gold medal. Uh... <laughs> And then, you know, maybe Putin <laughs> wouldn't be so salty. Yeah, maybe we trade them the ROC medals that they didn't get for, like, chilling out yeah. right now. For sure, for sure, for sure. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. All right, we are back now with Betch's own Camille Odom. In addition to being our office manager, she's also a recent graduate of Spelman College, a women's and historically black college. She's joining us today to discuss the recent threats to HBCU campuses, which came with increased frequency during Black History Month. But I want to start with some positive things <laughs> about your experience. <laughs> uh, because you are like, when did you graduate? 2020. So recently. Super fun time to graduate, wow. by the way. <laughs> 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. From the number one HBC in the country. Number one. Yeah. Number one. So how many did you spend your oh, senior year whoa. on your laptop at home? <laughs> yeah. Basically, like I think half the semester, I remember I went to spring break, came back and there was a pandemic. So oh the entire spring semester was remote and that really sucked. I'm not going to lie. Your, that was your senior spring. Yeah. Brutal. So we had so many events yeah. planned that, you know, just never happened, including graduation. So and these are like. I assume these events are part of the experience of choosing. Yes, definitely. Yeah. There was a whole senior week that we didn't get to do. And I'm, I'm happy that I got to go to yeah. my last spring break. But, yeah. you know. <sighs> just in time. Just in time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, my last day, I remember I was in Mexico. My mom is telling me, you need to get back to the U.S. or they're going to close the border. So. <laughs> oh, you made yeah. it. You made it. Thank gosh. So why did you choose Spellman? So it's so interesting. I actually didn't know that much about HBCUs before I chose Spellman. Um, I was around a few Spelman alum, like through this organization called Jack and Jill that my family was a part of. Um, but when I was in high school, actually, like it wasn't a part of the regular marketing, like how they would do Yale, Harvard, like maybe just by virtue. And you of, went to high school in Brooklyn? Yes, I did. I went to St. Xavier High School in Brooklyn. It was an all girls Catholic school. Um, and even though we did have like more black students than other Catholic schools, like most of the faculty was white and, you know, it was overwhelmingly white. So maybe that was also why, you know, HBCUs weren't heavily marketed. Um, so it was really random. Actually, my mother and I were in Costco one day and we happened to see one of the Jack and Jill mothers that was a Spelman alum. So it was around when college applications, everything is going in. And she said, hey, like, did you apply to Spelman? I told her no. I was like, I, you know, I hadn't really thought of it. And she literally followed us to the grocery store, convincing me <laughs> to go, like telling me why it was such a great opportunity. And so obviously that I went home. I was like, okay, it happened to be the last day they were accepting applications. I remember I just applied. Guys, this lady followed me around Costco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like just her enthusiasm yeah. about it and literally every Spelman alum I ever met, they were so enthusiastic about Spelman and you could kind of tell like they all had this aura about them to where I was like huh like that's definitely something I want to you know look into so I remember you know all my acceptances came in I was going through like my top choices and at the time I was deciding between NYU and Spelman um, so I had already visited NYU saw what they had to see and I really thought I was going to accept them so Spelman actually let me into their honors college. So I got to go there a day before all the orientation for new students. Um, I remember I flew in, I got there and I just fell in love with the campus. Like everything about it. I loved seeing a campus full of black women who I felt like were like me, you know, who were like brilliant academically. You know, these were women that could have went anywhere in the country and chose to be here. They were, you know, civically and socially involved. They were really everything I thought I was and who I wanted to be. I remember that last day I could only spend that one day there. I couldn't do the week, what they call spellbounds, like for... Oh, cool. All the girls that got accepted so they can, like, really get a sense of the culture. I remember, like, my prom was the next day. And I listened to my mom. I was like, do I really have to go back? Like, I really want to stay. Wow, that's telling. Yeah. And I knew from right there, I was like, yeah, I have to go here. Like, I've never felt that way about any place before. So yeah. that's really what ended up, like, why I chose yeah. Spelman. Yeah. And, I mean, mm -hmm. we'll talk about some of the, the challenges that HBCUs yeah. are facing. But I just think about, like, I mean, just... So that they have these challenges with such engaged and enthusiastic alumni really speaks to like how these are just like kind of systemic 
challenges. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I want to talk to you a little bit about sort of the recent issues that these campuses are facing. Yeah. Did you, we've talked about this a little bit, but did you ever experience bomb threats when you were, when you were going to Spelman? Yeah. So I don't remember what year it was like in my time there, but definitely there was a significant threat and it was, wow. it wasn't even just for Spelman. It was for the whole AUC, which is the Atlanta University <laughs> Consortium. So that's Spelman, Morehouse, and also Clark Atlanta University. And I don't remember if it was so much as a bomb threat, but we received a letter from the Stone Mountain KKK. And (laughs) I can like still kind of see the letter in my mind. I remember we were all sharing it in like the group meetings and Twitter. And basically they said they were going to storm the gates. (laughs) But they didn't say when, they didn't say how, but it was just a whole letter of, you know, just racist epithets saying they were going to come get us. Um, And I don't remember there being like any real fear (laughs) or like concern, mostly because I don't know. You learn to not really you're cautious, obviously, and these things are startling. But you know that the reason they send things like that is to incite fear. (laughs) So if you are genuinely afraid, then you kind of give them what Mm. they want. And also because Spelman like does really take security very seriously, Spelman specifically compared to the rest of the AUC, like it's a completely gated college. Like There are gates all the way around and are. You know, mm. public safety officers are very, very serious about keeping us safe. Yeah. Yes. Like men cannot even That's step foot on ask. the campus without um, showing some form of ID. Like Spelman is very serious about that. So I don't think we were more so concerned that they would get in, but really just so, you know, it's it's very unsettling. You get a letter from the KKK saying they're going to come get yeah. you. <laughs> Um, yeah. Stone Mountain, is it that one monument where they have like etched on the side of the mountain all those Confederate soldiers? Yes. That like, <laughs> yes. yeah, that is so problematic. Yes. <laughs> 18 layers of fucked up. Yeah, yeah precisely. Of like, <laughs> white supremacists. It's so it literally. One of my questions for you, what, you know, these people who are calling in these threats, what do you think their goal is? You got it. Their goal is to terrorize you. Yeah. Students. To incite fear and one to make you feel vulnerable in what's supposed to be a safe space. You know, it's really just when you even when you look at the history of this country, really, like it's not even something that's so surprising. And that's really sad to say. Um, Like when you think of, you know, all the black cities and black communities like Black Wall Street, all the thriving communities that have been specifically targeted by, you know, whether it be a white mob or like our government, even like, you know, it's it's, (laughs) to be honest. Um, But, you know, also a white mob. Yeah. Also a white mob. Really? (laughs) Shout out to, you know, the city in Philadelphia that got bombed by our federal government. Uh, You know, it's not really surprising when there is a group of black people, you know, thriving, doing well, being productive, that it becomes a target by, you know, racist people. So, yeah. How do these how do these threats? Because I think people hear them and it's sort of Mm -hmm. like they see a headline. They're like, oh, no. But how does this affect you? Like logistically? I mean, it's a whole it can be a whole process. These have been in the middle of the night. So it's not just as much as you can not let them have what they're going for and be fearful, it's still causing logistical problems for a university to deal with that most don't. But yeah, I think, you know, one of the goals is to cause disruption because at the end of the day, whether we're scared or not, you know, the faculty administration, they still have to take it seriously because, you know, if it does happen, then that's a liability for them. So, you know, whatever classes there are that day, you know, they have to sweep the whole campus, make sure there isn't anything. So it does cause, you know, logistical problems, especially if there was something big on campus that was supposed to happen that day. You know, you just can't do your daily routine. And just right. it's a general feeling of unsettling. It's right. unsettling I mean, it just feeling. seems like yeah. with everything we've been talking about since summer 2020, it just seems like having such a cop presence on, on that campus is unsettling and 
not something that is just can casually have indefinitely and feel fine about. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, you know, our spellmen particularly, I feel like they're very conscious of that. So like you'll never see like, you know, just Hmm. police swarms on campus. I feel like, you know, (laughs) they know how police are, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, seen in black people's eyes. They never make us feel unsafe in that way. But, you know, campus police will definitely like be on the lookout like they'll do their sweeps we won't necessarily see them do it but they'll send emails out for example letting them know that they are on it so yeah it's crazy that like not only do they have to consider the psychological response to the threats but like how but the response to the threats and how that's going to like further impact um so a lot of this has to do with resources Mm -hmm. and the threat of violence has brought more attention to some of the daily challenges that are facing hbcus and their student bodies but these are among a lot of challenges And a lot of them relate to underfunding, like Mm -hmm. most challenges everywhere. The extent of intentional underfunding of HBCUs is crazy and something I didn't know about until this month. Basically, it sounds like state governments across the country owe HBCUs a lot of money that they just don't give. And nobody really (laughs) bothers bothers to pay attention to it. Altogether, the 10 largest HBCU endowments in 2020, and these are just endowments totaled $2 compared to $200 billion for predominantly white institutions. But for public HBCUs, states are supposed to match federal aid dollar for lot, dollar because they have land grants, grant status. But like I said, there's not enough accountability. And sometimes state lawmakers, they just they just don't do it. Is this, do you feel this on campus? Like, is this a presence for the students there? Well, yeah. So at my particular HBCU, it is private. So we don't get any direct state funding. Um, So technically, the state of Georgia doesn't have to give us any money if they don't want to. However, you know, you still feel the effects of, you know, not getting as much money as, you know, these larger state schools that are right next to us, like Georgia Tech or Georgia State. Um, So I feel like the effects are more seen infrastructurally. Like Mm -hmm. underfunding has never affected me in terms of the quality of education I've received or the quality of culture or, you know, things like that. However, you do see it in things like dorms, like your cafeteria, your gyms, like our dorming situation is honestly not the best. Yeah. You know, we don't have as many dorms as we need to service as many students. And also they're outdated. Like, um, for example, Morehouse, I feel like definitely is a great example of this. Uh, there's still the bed that Martin Luther King <laughs> laid in. Like, not even exaggerating. Oh, gosh. <laughs> At first you're like, yay. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like a, pr- yeah. a prop. It's because somebody uses it. No, oh, like, people use yeah. it. <laughs> so, it, you know. Yeah, it's. It would make sense for it to be like, and here it is kind of encased in glass. <laughs> right, right. That someone is assigned Martin Luther King's oh, no. dorm, you know, and it, you don't even really notice a difference until, you know, you take a trip over to Georgia State and you're like, wow, they have so much more than we do. And I feel like, you know, in terms of culture, we've kind of, assigned it to the experience, the HBCU experience, you know, you get used to doing more with less. And, you know, considering we still are, you know, some top producers in every field with all this underfunding, you know, it's just what could we do if we had as much money as all these people, you know? Like, for example, Spellman is the number one producer of HBCUs in STEM fields. However, a lot of my STEM friends, they had to share lab materials when they're doing work, you know? Well, uh, speaking of uh, STEM, it's like actually the highest percentage of black people in this country that have PhDs are from HBCUs. And it's like, there's many reasons for that, but it's like, I can think of 
how strong and how inspired you are to have this emic education when you are not dealing with the microaggressions day to day with dealing with like, you know, people undermining or telling you that your research is this or that, whatever. But then on the flip side, you don't have as many resources or it's, yeah. it's really fucked up. So that was a, a fact to me that has blown my mind is like, you know, we've talked about the radical underinvestment under that HBCs have compared to state funds, but they produce so many, so much successful black professionals that it's, 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 it's crazy. I don't know. Yeah. Is that, is that sort of, um, you talked about your calculus for deciding to go to Spelman. I mean, I'm sure that you went to school in Brooklyn. Is that, you know, what some of the most like talented high school seniors are, are thinking? They're like, I know I'm going to get this incredible rare education, but there's, there's also this, I mean, I'm sure it's like impacting recruitment too. No, most definitely. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's definitely like not a noble decision, but it it's in mind. <laughs> You're visiting all these schools, you know, Spelman is fantastic with all that it, it offers. Exactly. Like I still paid $50,000 a year to go to Spelman yeah. when I could take that tuition and go to a state school and receive so much more. <laughs> yeah. Like for example, I remember on move-in day, my mom is on the board of presidents at Hofstra University and you know, they dropped me off to my door freshman year and she was like, oh, like, this is it. <laughs> like, you know, it's just like, it's just mm-hmm. very stark difference. Like, you know, like a school like Hofstra, they have yeah. suites. You can have microwaves, refrigerators, because they don't have problems with their circuit breakers. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. like at Spelman, we couldn't have too many things plugged in at the same time for fear right. that the whole thing would set ablaze, you yeah. know? So yeah. oh <laughs> I feel like it definitely does impact, you know students decision to come to Spelman, yeah. you know, if they do want, you know, a nicer, like aesthetically pleasing kind of education. Yeah. I mean, like we said, I mean, the, it should be for the public schools. I'll give a couple stats, like particularly some egregious examples in Tennessee, they did a huge investigation and basically found that since 1950, the state has basically like not given this HBCU $600 billion that it was owed. And this is not rare. Oh Maryland, my God. Billion. Yeah. Billion. Half, yeah. Billion. billion half a trillion dollars <laughs> that and they've just been making do and they somehow still exist and this happened this happened in maryland too um but i'm wondering if you if you think these are some of the factors that are playing a role in why some really incredible academics and public figures like tani c Coates and nicole hannah jones chose to take positions at howard oh yeah most definitely i feel like the more notable people take positions at HBCUs, then the general public is forced to pay attention to us. Right. You know, there are hundreds of HBCUs, you know, and you really only hear about four of them, <laughs> you know, Spelman, Howard, Hampton, mm-hmm. you know, the main ones, basically. But there are so many schools yeah. that need your help. And that's why I feel like people like ta Coates and Nicole Hannon-Jones, you know, they're doing something that's really important, honestly. Um I feel like the more national attention we get, hopefully, you know, schools will receive their billions of dollars that they're owed. And like those state legislators, you know, the ones that are withholding those funds for, you know, reasons that are really just racism. Yeah, to be clear, they are giving, the money is not having a problem getting to, you know, the state schools you're talking about. They're getting their checks. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, you know, the underfunding is simply because of systematic racism. They don't see the value in what HBCUs do. They don't care in the advancement of black people. And that's really as simple Mm. as it is. So the more people with public attention that take positions at these schools, they're yeah. forced to listen. They're forced yeah, to like attention. I dare Fox News to stop paying attention. Like they're always <laughs> going to pay attention to Nicole Hannah-Jones. So now they have to pay attention to Howard. But just speaking to the value of these schools, I was curious if you could sort of share like yeah. an experience you had at Spelman that you just know you wouldn't have been able to have like anywhere else or a moment where you just knew it was 
only there in that in that setting would you have been able to have that experience? Yeah, well, you know, you know, not to give away our sacred traditions and orientation. <laughs> you know, I really do feel like that first week of Spelman is really what makes you realize you made the first the, oh, the right yeah. choice. Really, honestly, um, there's like a whole week. You know, freshmen are not really allowed to leave the campus because they really want us to bond in a very sisterly way. And that entire week, alum are on campus. They have several different activities for us to do, you know, learning history and traditions, being able to see, like, we all have to wear white dresses, and you see all the alumni that came, and they, you all take turns, you know, you shake hands with them, they tell you how proud they are of you for being there, you know, and, like, really having that experience shows you, like, how vast this Wellman Network is, and I'm sure that goes for all HBCUs, honestly. It's really an experience you can't get anywhere else, mm-hmm. like, specifically Spelman, it's all women and it's all specifically black women. There is no other institution in the country except for Bennett, you know, that is like that, you know, and I feel like, you know, being a black woman in America, there's not many places where you feel you have a safe space that really is just for you. Because, you know, black people are always forced to open up our safe spaces when no one else has to, you know, we never have anything that is specifically for us. And I feel like Spelman does a really great job of, you know, not only creating that safe space for you, but also, you know, bringing you up in that, you know, really, you know, priming you to be, you know, our tagline is a choice to change the world. Mm -hmm. They really do cultivate Mm -hmm. black women who have the mindset to not only better yourself, but our community as a whole. And I feel like there's no other way. (laughs) There's nowhere else in the country I would have gotten that kind of experience. Yeah, that's incredible. And I feel like I know that um, Mackenzie Bezos has like made some big donations, Mm -hmm. but I feel like it's so important that like, like you mentioned, Spelman is an example of a, a private college that isn't necessarily entitled to state money, mm-hmm. but it should be. It should <laughs> be like a priority. It should be something to preserve because like Millie mm-hmm. said, I mean, they make up a small percentage of overall college, but about a third of them in certain science degrees. And yeah. if those universities are not able to function and they've already functioned so well with so little, we're looking at a really, a really tough situation for black students. It sounds like yeah, that want to go there. Yeah. Thank you so much. We'll have to have you back. This is incredible. Uh, learned so much. That is our Thank show you. for today. Until the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. And I'm Elise Ramirez. And this is the Betches Sub Podcast. Bye. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.